Hi, and welcome to the History in Today podcast. This week, Katie and I were joined by Kazi Iqbal, and we discussed the Proclamation Line of 1763, Native representation in American history, and how this relates to Thanksgiving tomorrow. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get right into it. So, um... When we learn about the Seven Years' War in, in school, we're, we're taught that, yes, it is a precursor to the American Revolution. Um, it did sow the seed of, of rebellion in the, in the minds of Americans, or at least one-third of them. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, we're, we're taught that it's like this sort of like way of Americans getting the land that they deserve. Um, you know, let's, let's just talk about how it started. Um, there, there were lots of prospectors, both French and British, in um, in this Ohio Valley area, and just this like little middle part um, in what today is the Midwest and and sort of like that, you know, um, in Mississippi Valley area. Um, all, from the French side, it was a lot of fur trappers, um, just tradesmen, uh, just all around chill people, really. Um, they they sort of respected the lands, um, and then there was prospectors from the uh, the eastern British colonies um, in in America, and um, particularly companies like the Ohio Company who who sought to benefit from these lands, sort of settle, and they were basically like, hey, here's here's land that we can use, let's use it, and so. Um, so the Ohio Company, um, it was uh, very much tied to the governor, uh, governor of Virginia, and it mainly benefited him and his buddies. And so they decided, you know what, why don't we send uh, our boy Georgie W, uh, that's George Washington, uh, in, in, into this area uh, just to like sort of substantiate our claim on this area of it. And so, yeah, of course, um, the British Army was like, yeah, fine, we'll, we'll send our actual guys who know what they're doing in and, uh, as well, because, you know, you don't want uh, militiamen to die um, because they don't know what they're doing. Um, though I'm, I'm not going to disrespect George Washington too much because he is actually a smart guy. But, um, but yeah, then, then the Seven Years' War broke, breaks loose um, because the French doesn't want to give up this land to the British. They're just there just chilling, trading furs with the Indians and coexisting. Um, but yeah, they don't they don't want the British coming in and then basically invading the land. So that sets off the Seven Years' War. Long story short, the British wiped the uh, wiped the floor with everybody. Well, not wiped the floor, but they, they win. They win. Um, and they get the land. And so Americans think, you know what? This is our land now because we, we fought for it. Um... <laughs> And so, um, there are prospectors like uh, the Paxton boys who come in and start basically cleansing the land, shall we say. Um, there was this one major incident uh, called the Conestoga Massacre around 1763, um, which they uh, came to the town of Conestoga, mutilated and or killed everybody in the town. Um to um and it was it was a Native American town, um and so the British um actually before I get to that there were um, a series of many uh, conflicts continuing after the Seven Years' War uh, between the Native peoples and and the colonists um 
And the main one, the most influential one, was Pontiac's Rebellion, which was an uprising against these people who, um, who the natives saw as as invaders, as as um, as um, thieves, basically. They're they're coming in and they're stealing their land that they've been living on uh, for centuries. And so the British government was like, "All right, enough is enough. We we can't stay on this land. This is their land. We need to respect that. We need to step back." Um, there there is debate whether like. They, uh, whether the British government is like, alright, we'll respect it, or let's just stay back so they don't get mad at us. Like, um, uh, but the whole gist of the British government coming in was saying, hey, um, we're giving out this proclamation, you can't cross this line, because you will get shot with an arrow and die. Or shot with a musket, I that arrow was very condescending. Um, you will get shot um, and and killed um, because there are people here who live here who want to defend their land, um, and so we're. Uh, this is known as one of the first sort of starting points of the American Revolution. Um, you know, Americans were promised its land; they were given land grants, but you know, who's to say that that was the British British's right to give those land grants? And the British said, yeah, no, that wasn't our, that wasn't right for us to give those land grants. Now you got, you can't stay there. But they're like, no, it's, it's our freedom. It's, we, we control our own destiny and our destiny is to, is to um, control this land. And so that, that is something that sowed the first seeds of a rebellion and one of the starting points of the American Revolution. Yeah, I, I, I waffled on a bit there, but. No worries. Yeah. So you get the you get in 1763 this this proclamation line from from Britain basically as you said you know we're no one can really tell you know we call him Mad King George no one can really get in the mind of what George III was thinking whether he was you know thinking in the best interest of the natives which is most likely not the case probably just you know he put it there to say don't cross this line or you will get killed. And then, you know, just a year later, we, we start learning about the other things that we talk about when we talk about the start of the rebellion, which is, you know, the different acts that came in be. But, you know, right along that or along that line, you have the proclamation line, which is comes before those and makes a lot of American colonists or British colonists yeah. at the time. It, very it ruffles a lot of feathers and... And Americans are just like, yeah, no, it's it's our God-given right. We fought for this land. We deserve it. And you have you hear that sentiment from '63 till 1890 when the frontier is officially closed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that the proclamation line in general is also that 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 beginning point, or even before that, with all of the the land that the that the British um people were granting to to the colonists that was not their land to grant um that that begins this trend of of americans really or not americans british colonists at the time thinking that this this land is their land and um and no one else's um i think that part part of that is is the the amount of population decline that we that we see at the time um arguably as some people would like to note the the genocide of native americans at that time um the what i think is so 
so discouraging to see in in you know our education system in particular is sort of what what you were alluding to sam we we get the seven years war and then we skip straight to like the stamp act the sugar act the intolerable acts like that and then right to rebellion you know we sort of overlook this huge step which is the proclamation line and in doing so we ignore you know what is one of the reoccurring problems that occurs between native people and um you know eventually um american people through um the course of history um even with big purchases such as the louisiana purchase for example i, I don't want to get like too far off topic here but even that giant purchase that you know thomas jefferson won for america there were native people on that land like mm -hmm. technically like they're like oh yes like we bought the we bought the this territory but there are native people living there still like it's not entirely yours yet like um napoleon Bonaparte so, didn't live on that land right, <laughs> it wasn't right. like he was selling you know his backyard <laughs> right right so so we really you know see this see this theme of land being a very you know like yes passionate but like also just such a huge motivator to you know when when we think about the the um you know american colonies or the british colonies that we had at the time people didn't have a lot of room to to move about um and and so what what you we begin to see is it, this huge population increase of um you know colonists and not enough land to to have to support that population increase um while we also see this huge decline of native peoples in population and you know the tides and the tides start to shift when it comes to a power dynamic um and and so really like this is such an important I guess to like kind of bring it all together, the proclamation line in the context of the Seven Years War and in the context of like its significance toward rebellion, like it's so important to consider because it's a theme that we will constantly see throughout American history. Like American history would not be American history without acknowledging what what has happened between Native peoples and what the the various debates that have happened over land. Um, as a result of it. And this is just like that starting, like a very concrete, I guess, concrete starting point um, that, yeah. we, that we see. I think the eternal question in the history of America is what does freedom mean and what can we give in exchange for it? Because like, I mean, like we, we say we are a free country, but who really is free? Like, and, and how are they free and why are they free? Like, who's, who's giving that, and then their freedom? Like, you can, you are free to walk into Walmart without a mask. No one's stopping. I mean, like, sure, there's, like, um, executive orders, like, very, like, very strongly encouraging you to wear a mask. But, like, nothing's stopping you from just walking out without a mask. But, like, you are putting everyone else's lives at stake. Like, there's nothing stopping you from from being an Islamophobe, from being um being a homophobe from being racist but you you are hurting a lot of people you are perpetuating negative things about people but like where like where where is this line of freedom versus 
versus um equity yeah and, and I, think that's, the, yeah. I think the thing that kind of ties in with that question where it's what is freedom and then also you know as we all have to recite you know as we all have to recite like a cult every day when we go to public school you know liberty and justice for all uh and i think that for all has probably been the most debated alongside what is liberty and justice has been the most debated you know who is all yeah i i um as i'm sure you know our our viewers know by now um i i minor in native studies it's come up in you know various different podcasts um what astonishes me the most is that when we tell the the story of america we we wipe out the native story more than we wipe out any other group and it's very it's very shocking because it's shocking but it's not shocking like there are various like points in our history um and you know this proclamation line to keep it you know centered within what we're talking about it's that it's just overlooked like it's just we we very much cherry pick what we want to teach to our um you know to our younger generations and while you know we we can argue there is that that valid argument that if you were going to teach every single part of history you would be there forever um because it, it is true um however it is it is very suspicious that you know the that we always get this this narrative starting even before the seven years war but especially with like crediting rebellion we we get that all of the important native you know events um and this is true with other minority groups as well but especially with native peoples and the fact that this this was their country before it was ours um you know we've cherry picked it in a way that they just never come up in the conversation which is why i'm so happy that we're we're talking about this today um but yeah i think um and and you know i'm gonna go a little off topic here but i want to kind of build on the you know very very real truth that we don't talk about you know native americans in history nearly as much as we should but i want to bring up just for a brief moment andrew jackson because I think we talk about Andrew Jackson, and, and when we do, this is kind of the one time, along, along with, with Thanksgiving, which we'll get to later, of whether or not that's actually real history in the first place. But when we, when we talk about the history of Native Americans, Andrew Jackson is kind of the tag that we do it with. And I am in no way justifying Andrew Jackson here. I am in no way saying that he was a good person or that anything he did was less wrong than what is generally agreed upon now where the man was the man was genocidal and i think because we have you know kind of pinned this genocidal tag of you know trail of tears on andrew jackson the rest of history has become exempt completely exempt from genociding the native americans and i think you know andrew jackson was the one who did that where like i think you know a lot of history, actually, where, you know, when a genocide occurs, you put the face, you put the face on the top of it, and they're the ones responsible. But, like, history is a lot more complicated. And I see Katie's very excited <laughs> to say something. To quickly add on to that, okay, so I, I just did a project um, for one of my classes on Andrew Jackson, and the, the, the context of my paper, the argument for my paper is that Jackson used the, the natives 
the native peoples. Um, he fought with both um, the Seminole and the Creek. He mm -hmm. used those wars um, with those um, native nations to essentially catapult himself to the presidency. One of the main, like, arguments and one of the main like parts of his campaign for presidency was that he was you know this this warrior against indian peoples he you know was able to to give the american people what they wanted at the time the reason why he is deemed such a you know popular figure he's deemed you know a president for the common man is because that's what people at the time wanted they didn't want native peoples on that land. They wanted to expand. They didn't want the Cherokee in Georgia. They wanted, like, they wanted native peoples gone, like, period. And the fact that, like, I think it's important that we nail Jackson for using and exploiting native peoples, like, in, in getting to the top of the country. Like, I think that that's important and that's, you know, alone never acknowledged. Um, but in addition to that, blaming like america because technically if you think about it like andrew jackson didn't do anything that was against popular opinion like he he supported popular opinion that's that's all i'm gonna say we're getting like super off topic so let's let's try to bring it back but i just wanted to quickly add that before we come back i'd just like to say i think the the number one prover of what you just said i know there's probably a better word for that my vocabulary isn't great i have been not sleeping super well recently but the number one thing that proves exactly what you just said is william henry harrison who is is not talked about very much because obviously he was a president that died a month into his term but this man was literally andrew jackson like you know same story self-made man want to want to fight tippecanoe was his, his big fight i believe that was his, his nickname and i think he was he was a more he was a war veteran, but, you know, similar story to Andrew Jackson. But he was a Whig, which is the other side of the spectrum. But because he was this, you know, American patriot fighting in a war, most likely, you know, massacring the other side, because the other side really didn't exist as a, as a military entity, uh, you got both sides of the spectrum doing the same thing, validated by the people, voted in by the people. And this was not a, this was a bipartisan, uh, a bipartisan genocide, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get back on track. Um, Kasi, where would you like to go with this conversation next? I think it's important to think about, you know, what the motivations are for certain things in American history. And I've seen a lot of people, I mean, like mainly on the darker side of Facebook saying like, we should be proud Americans and we should be proud of like our history. But like, is, is that really what we should be getting from history? Like, because I've, I've seen a shift from, uh, like between what I've, I've learned in elementary school and what I've learned in college, you know, um, in, in my fifth grade history class, we, we took more of an appreciative approach. We didn't uh we weren't like all right they, they did this but why did they do it like what can we learn from it? we just like all right they did this that's cool that's our history um but like you know history 1502 in um in professor macaulay's class if you ever have a chance to take a class with her she's great um she, like we dissected every bit and just wondered you know what are the motivations of these people why are they doing this 
and who are they hurting? Who are they benefiting? Absolutely. I think, you know, going back to like the proclamation line and the role that American expansion, you know, ultimately, you know, played in various facets of American history. So kind of like broadening um, the scope of this issue of land. Um, you know, we see multiple issues with land come up in various points. Um, one being that, you know, the forced, um, you know, removal of Native peoples from their original homes and the implementation eventually of the reservation system being one of the main consequences of this fast, um, ever consuming, you know, expanding. So that's one big effect that we see. Another effect that we see is as as the United States got more got more territories and as we expanded, you know, our um, you know, plethora of states that we have attained, you know, in that's in the context where we see um the issue of popular sovereignty come up in in the context of um the black community and in the context of what um who should determine what is a slave state versus what is a um, free state. And so the expansion of land really brings in this intersectionality between Native and Black um, groups because, you know, we see that, you know, these are, these are two, you know, very prominent groups in our country. Um, both groups we have done so dirty. I don't know how else to say it, um, but, but we've really just, you know, crushed crushed their cultural history number one we've crushed and stereotyped their 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 cultural history um number one um and then number two we 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 profit off of we profit off of their stereotypes right so so we see we see essentially that 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 land was like the gateway into everything else you know it's it's both a gateway into everything else but also um it's sort of like that 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 connection that that we see between these in like the intersection between both the native and black um communities um so i just like kind of wanted to bring that into the conversation too because when we talk about intersectionality and we talk about um, different minorities and what, you know, happens in American history. Like, we can say, okay, like, let's take one year to teach our children Native American history. I agree. That would be wonderful. Let's spend one year teaching them Native American history. Let's spend one year teaching them, um, you know, African American and Black history. And then, like, let's teach them an overarching view another year. But it's difficult to do that because there's also intersectionality, which brings in all these connections. Um, so, so yeah, Kazi, like when you were talking about like who who does it benefit? Like where do these pivotal points um you know come come to come to the center? Like what does it say about us and like why why should we be proud of our history? Like it, it's very telling that a lot of these turning points um and a lot of the traditions and the stereotypes that we see today, like it's just telling that we get them from those two communities and they both have that land connection, which is really, um, you know, interesting. Anyway, uh, do any of you know where we, we can take this from here? I mean, uh, one thing I do want to mention is that on, on the topic of intersectionality, there's, I don't think there's any bit of progress, any, 
any minority group in the United States cannot attribute um, to like having come about without help from another um, minority group or some other kind of trailblazer. Because like me particularly, I my parents could not be here um, without the Immigration Acts um, in the 60s as a direct result of the Civil Rights Act. Like we, um, anyone in America who's been oppressed has been helped out by other people who have been oppressed as well. And so, like, it's it's important for us to recognize that, especially because um, my community um, has a lot of prejudice. Like, um, uh, Britain uh, definitely exported their colorism to um, to the colonies in India, and you you can see that in the Indian diaspora. This is like heavily off topic, but like, um, but yeah, you can see that in the Indian diaspora, and you can see that in um, in Bangladesh and Pakistan and India, like that, that appears in in everyday culture. Yeah, and so that, that's why like intersectionality is very important, because we ha all have the same problems for the si for similar reasons. Yeah, I think a lot of people fail to acknowledge uh, intersectionality at all, which I think is you know kind of the big struggle of the day. Where I think if we if we get people to kind of talk about intersectional ideas and, you know, really acknowledge the fact that, like, we're all kind of fighting the same battle. Like, you know, there's different there's different battles, but it's the same war. I think it's actually probably a better way to say it. Uh, you know, everybody has a different hill that they end up, you know, choosing to die on, but... Speaking of, hill, uh, speaking of hills to die on, I think it's time we talk about Medicom. That's, yes. that's a good, a really good <laughs> accidental transition. So I'm going to pat yes. myself on the back accidentally. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go for war, but I, speaking of war, but I think speaking of hell, the Dion is better. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, I know uh, barely anything about um, King Philip's War. I, I'd like have a brief uh, overview um, from watching uh, videos from people like Atunche, who who are like a great history on New England uh, history and actually Civil War history as well. He uh, he he has like some great analysis of the Civil War. Um, but yeah, he he talks about that a lot and just reflecting, uh, sort of like what I was saying about like sort of what what's the purpose of history? You know, who who wrote this primary source and like how trustworthy is this primary source? He talks about that a lot. So yeah, that's that's my sort of like exposure to um, King Philip's War. So like I, I won't be saying too much about it, but I will be giving my reactions. So um, I think uh, Katie, you know the most of of all of it. So yeah, Katie, yes. you want to go ahead? So I can provide the context. Um, so I can sort of talk about King Philip's rise first, and then we can sort of talk about what initiated the war, and then um, the the uh, should, should we switch to calling the person uh, Metacomet and calling the war King Philip's War, or uh, should we go about this? I think that's a I think that's a good idea. I think as yes. Metacomet's Rebellion is is the the more accurate name. Okay, just just okay. Metacomet across the board. Yeah, or Metacom. I don't know. I don't. I know he kind of goes. I, I think, by, kind of goes think, by two variations of the same name. I think. Um. I think the. Um. I think it's called Metacom's Rebellion, actually. Okay, Medi uh, Metacom's Rebellion, we can refer to it as. I'll, I'll, I'll cut a few of this, a little bit of this out. 
Let me okay. let me figure out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Metacom's Rebellion and yeah. And King's still King Phillips were the same. Yeah. The same. Yes. But yeah. So you can you can go you can go ahead, Katie. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> so so for for some context, um, Metacom was the second son of the Wampanoag chief um, Massasoit. And so um, Massasoit had negotiated a, pre a peace treaty with the colonists at um, Plymouth, but that agreement um, wasn't enough to stop, you know, encroachment on, on their land. Um, speaking of land and, you know, the proclamation, et cetera. Um, we'll get so, to him later. Yes. Um, so after Massasoit's death, um, which was in 1661, um, his eldest son, Alexander succeeded him, but then in 1662, the English arrested Alexander um, on the suspicion that he was going to plot some war, um, which accurate um, suspicion. Um, so during that questioning, um, Alexander died, and Metacom, um, who was then you know referred to as Philip, but for for our our accuracy, um, we will refer to him as Metacom. Um, he um, came to power. And so that's sort of the context of how he came to power. So um, Massasoit dies, Alexander, you know, Massasoit's first son, um, succeeds him. And then after that, you know, Metacom, who's also known as Philip, um, you know, comes to power after, you know, Alexander's arrested and, you know, dies in questioning. Um, and so, so we see that Metacom has come to power, um, and he is not the actual person who who incites this war. Um, fun fun fact. Um, so, in January in 1675, there was a Christian Native American um, known as John Sassamon, and he warned the Plymouth colonists that Metacom was planning to attack the English settlements, and so. The English ignored this warning, um, and then they soon found Sassamon um, murdered in a in a pond. Um, so what what the speculation is is you know he Sassamon was um, was caught with this betrayal. Um, he was killed off by other native peoples, and so this this sort of triggers King Philip's war. This. This betrayal, the the death of Sassamon. Um, Sassamon had very, um, you know, prominent English ties. He had connections to, um, like, he knew English fluently. He he had all of these connections to um, the English, and so the English obviously took um, took his murder the wrong way, um, and so. King Philip's War starts. Um, the, the the main thing that I really want to bring home um, is that this war, um, Metacomet's Rebellion, King Philip's War, they're, they're interchangeable um, in what you call them. Um, this war was considered the bloodiest war um, per capita, newest history, fun fact. Um, not, not really fun, um, but it is a fact. Um, and it left several hundred colonists dead and dozens of English settlements destroyed or, you know, heavily damaged. Um, thousands of Native Americans were killed, wounded, or captured. Um, they were also sold into slavery or indentured servitude. And 
it decimated um, tribes such as the Narragansett, the Wampanoag, um, and other like smaller tribes as well. So, so we see this this affect many different tribes, uh, many different native nations. Um, in addition to casualties on both sides being um, being there, being prominent. Um, something that's important that I would like to just quickly touch upon is within. Um, Native colonists um, or native European battles um, throughout history. Some important things to note is that a lot of the battles are named after the European enemy. So that's why King. It, that's why King Philip's War. Like we refer to it more as King Philip's War than we would Metacomet's Rebellion because that was like the the title that that the Europeans gave to gave to their enemy. That was their enemy. Mm -hmm. um, and likewise with, yeah yeah so, yeah and like likewise with like continuing that trend like the pequot war was named after the pequot tribe like it was named after the enemy of the europeans so that like if anyone's any viewers are, are confused as to why the names are interchangeable it's it's because you know the one main trend to to see is that you know it's named after the european enemy um which is so white centered um it's not even funny but it is what it is um another thing is that in many in many conflicts and king philip's war is um and metacomet's rebellion both again both can be used um they they have allies on both sides um you you have tribes fighting um or native nations fighting with other native nations um and you have you know native nations siding with the English. Um, the most important thing, um, and this is very true to King Philip's war, these wars always result in the loss of native life and native credibility and the the decrease in power of native peoples. Um, no matter no matter what we see, this is especially true for King Philip's war and all of the wars that happen. King Philip's war and Metacomet's rebellions. So sorry, history always tells it as King Philip's war for the reasons I said earlier. Um, you know the one the one thing to remember is that you know every everyone every native person you know that was involved in that conflict is always betrayed in the end even if they sided with the with the english or with with the colonists and to that note by by having native peoples on both sides of both sides of the battle or both sides of the wars it it weakens their influence even more if that makes sense so divide and conquer was really important like in in the sense that the tribes were divided and the english could just conquer like as as much as possible so that's all i want to say um and then we you you all can add in what what you think um but there's the context i think it's important to consider um king philip's war when when talking about you know the history of thanksgiving as um as many school children uh, may well have done in the last week because you know you have massasoit helping with uh with the first um uh first thanksgiving and ooh, I, I saw my blue bar is gone all right you you have um massasoit and squanto helping with the first thanksgiving in, in around 1620 1621 but then you also, like, 55 years after the fact, you have 
Massasoit's son's head on a pike in front of the gates of Plymouth, Massachusetts, as a result of the King's Fall War. And so it, it the the whole idea of, oh yeah, we had this all really nice feast and we were all peaceful and together, that that was a short-lived reality. Um, like even the next year in Jamestown, um, uh, Native Americans were just absolutely massacred by by the white colonists, and it's it, it wasn't it, it was very far from what the reality of Native Americans um, under uh, British colonization were, was. Yeah, and I think also like kind of you know this. We have this. We have this kind of lost hundred and fifty years in in American history, where we talk about you know that that glorified feast in sixteen twenty. <clears throat> then you know a few you know small mentions of you know your King's your King Philip's War, your Pequot War, uh, and a few you know small things until you get to the Seven Years' War, which is in the seventeen fifties, hundred and thirty years later, and. You know, we have to recognize that everything that was done in that 130 years was completely ignored by the British. So that's, a, that's and I, you know, I know British colonists is, is the correct term, but that is American decisions being made. Those are not, you know, we had to do this because the king said we had to do this. Like the king doesn't give a crap about america at this point the king has much bigger problems in europe and because of that you know the americans just kind of you know roam free and basically you know can do whatever they want the only people that are trying to stop them from doing whatever they want are the people who actually live on the land and then you get massacres like the pequot war or like king philip's war or you know the trail of tears after we actually had a country but, you know, and then, of course, the minute the British come back in, they're like, what the hell are you guys doing? Proclamation line, now it's a problem. Now, you know, oh, you, you guys don't want us just running around saying all this land is ours? Oh, okay, well, now we don't like you. Yeah, and even so, it's like, even after the proclamation line, I will, I will, say, this, I will say this again and again, like, we constantly see issues with with land and and what 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 is going to happen with with native peoples um you know something that that is so important that i think we should keep in mind when discussing um you know thanksgiving and what it what it means um in our country you know i i would like to say that in all of the the native um studies classes that i've taken that we never we never mention thanksgiving um it is based on that based on that fact that we never mention it it is to my to my belief that it is not factual in in scope at all um i think that a more factual claim um to to define the relationship between the colonists and um the native peoples of the time would be that there were some native peoples who were willing to cooperate with like, like Massasoit, like Squanto, they're like John Sassamon who who, you know, told the Plymouth um that that um Medicom was coming. 
you know, it there there were native peoples who 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 felt that that partnering with the English would be to their benefit, which in of that of that tune, you know, we see this population loss that 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 happens. We see that not all native tribes or not all native territories at the time got along at all. There there were during this time, in addition to you know, the wars that we see, like King Philip's War, like the Pequot War, like all of all of these wars between, you know, native peoples and Europeans, like while that was happening, you know, native peoples were also in conflict with one another. Um, so, you know, to to this end, you know, we see the most important thing when talking about, you know, Thanksgiving is that it wasn't something that was a result of native people respecting and coexisting with Europeans. There is no point in history where native people have ever truly coexisted alongside Europeans. Um, and, and again, to that effect, we see that, you know, this alliances between native peoples and, you know, the colonists at the time were, were a result of perceived um, necessity. Um, people had their reasons against Guanto had his reasons. Um, Massasoit had his reasons. Um, these these native peoples had their reasons for 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 these alliances, but it doesn't mean that the relationship was was um, a walk in the park. It was not at all, um, you know, a feast per se. Um, and so, you know, bringing in you know this this today aspect of it. Um, you know, we just have to acknowledge that this isn't a good time for Native people. Um, this this holiday, I say that in the, the most quotes as possible, um, this holiday is not, you know, a time for, for Native people um, to be, you know, happy and, you know, uplifted and all of those, all of those things that we associate with Thanksgiving. Um, but, but I yield to whoever wants to talk now. Uh, I just think, you know, to, to, to add to that, I think, you know, another holiday that is kind of, you know, very much created holiday uh, that causes a lot of pain for Native Americans is Columbus Day. And I think, you know, there's no, there is nothing wrong with celebrating being thankful for each other. There is nothing wrong with celebrating, you know, the reason Columbus Day was put in, which is, you know, celebrating Italians on, on one day. There is a problem with celebrating while you're dancing on the graves of millions of people. Like, celebrating what you're thankful for can be done in a myriad of other different ways. And celebrating it while you're teaching your children that something happened, you know, where, you know, oh, the, the Native Americans walked us to the shores and, you know, helped us build houses. Like, that's not how it should be done. It should be, you know, this is what we're thankful for. We don't need a stupid story that is just insulting millions of people. Uh, probably shouldn't be, you know, really talking about Native Americans at all. You definitely shouldn't have six-year-olds dressing up as Native Americans to celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, and the same thing with Columbus Day, you know, Christopher Columbus does not need to be the face of a, an Italian heritage holiday just because, you know, they couldn't think of another Italian and they had to pick a genocidal murder. Uh, like, there are there are a lot of problems with, with how we portray holidays that otherwise 
wouldn't be offensive, but we make them offensive because we completely ignore the history behind them. So, uh, I guess we'll end out the episode here. Um, I want to wish you guys, uh, uh, you know, I know that this is kind of a flip-flop. A, uh, <clears throat> I want to, I wish you guys a happy but respectful Thanksgiving yeah. this year. I want you, I want you to, you know, to think about what we're talking about here about, you know, you know, just be, be, be thoughtful of, of what you're talking about when you're sitting around the table with your, you know, with your family. But, you know, there's nothing wrong, as I said, there's nothing wrong with being thankful for family as long as you're not dancing on the graves of millions of people. So, so yeah, uh, thank you for listening and uh, we will talk, we will see you guys next week. Bye.